ahead and have a seat. Grab your Bibles. I'm already over time. <laughs> but how awesome is it that we, as the church of Jesus Christ, get to gather every week like this at a time like this. You know what I mean by that? Do you know what I mean by that? How awesome is it that we still get together, that we still get to shout the name of Jesus and encourage each other. And the Bible says, spur one another on to take the message, to take that name of Jesus out into the streets and declare the truth of God and his word and the name of Jesus into our families and into all of our circumstances that are coming and have come. <laughs> we have a lot that we're walking into, but we get to take the name of Jesus and shout it from the highest mountains. And we need to bring it, and we get to bring it. It's a privilege to bring the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord, to bear on the lives of the people that are all around us so that they can experience him like we have. I love being part of the church, don't you? I love being part of this church, I do. But I love being part of something much bigger than this church. There is something much bigger out there. And it is the church of Jesus Christ. Some call it the big C church of Jesus Christ. There is something greater than just what's happening right here in this congregation. It's a worldwide movement of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I love being part of that. Such an awesome experience yesterday to be able to sit with some pastor friends and their wives and just talk about what God is doing in our community, talk about what God is doing in the world, and talk about what God is doing in our own lives and the lives of our local assemblies. There is a, a shaking going on. There is something very profound that's happening in God's people right now as he prepares us for all that is coming. But if I were to ask you to define the church, like what is the church? Would you be able to answer that question? Or if I asked you this question, who is the church? Would you be able to identify that and define that? As we think about the church of Jesus Christ, is it, is it real or is it fiction? Is it man-made or is it ordained by God himself? Here's one. Um, is it antiquated and archaic? I mean, is it just some old thing, some old relic, or is it relevant for today in the world today? Is it alive or is it dead? How do we know? You're pretty confident it's alive. How do we know if it's alive? <laughs> I couldn't understand any of that. <laughs> That's the subject of our discussion today. We're going to talk about who and what is the church. And I put the end word on there, really. What is the church really? And who makes up the church? Really. Now, it's not, uh, let me just start with this. It's not denominational, for sure. 
Did I make that clear? It's not denominational, it's universal. There's not some particular group that's hanging on to the Church of Jesus Christ and they've got it all figured out. That's not the Church of Jesus Christ. It's not bound in some the walls of some denomination. It is universal, and it is not a building or a location, and you're like, duh, we know that, but I have to make that clear. This place is not the church of Jesus Christ. You are the church of Jesus Christ. It's a body is what the scripture says. In fact, let's use this definition. I have it on the screen for you. The definition of the church is this. People of every nation, race, or creed, past, present, and future, who by grace and through faith believe in God through his son, Jesus Christ. That's the definition of the church of Jesus Christ. Take your Bibles. We're gonna be all over the place today, okay? So I hope that you're ready. I hope that your fingers are nimble. Get your Bibles out and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. If you have an electronic Bible, get your fingers ready to push the buttons because we're gonna be all over the place. So get it ready, all right? It's a good thing to be in the scriptures, isn't it? Amen. All throughout the New Testament scriptures, the church of Jesus Christ is referred to as the body of Christ. They're actually interchangeable words for the one and the same thing. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he describes it for us, and it's this. The human body has many parts. This is verse 12 of 1 Corinthians 12. But the many parts make up one whole body, so it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews, some are Gentiles, some are slaves, and some are free. But we have all been baptized into how many bodies? Come on, yeah, one body by one spirit, and we all share the same spirit. Jump to verse 27. All of you together are Christ's body, and each of you is a part of it. He's talking about the body of Christ, similar to how our bodies put together is the body of Christ. But in Colossians chapter 21, verse 24, Paul, when talking about suffering for the body, he says this, I suffer for the sake of the body, which is the church. So it's important that we understand that, and I'll read it again, the definition of the church is people of every nation, race, or creed, past, present, and future, who by grace and through faith believe in God through his son, Jesus Christ. That is the church. And I wanna answer a series of questions on that. It's gonna feel pretty academic today. You okay with that every once in a while? Um, because we're setting a foundation for what we're going to be leaning into in the book of 1 John for the next four months. But it's so important today as I introduce this new series to us that we understand who we are and what we are. And we answer that question, what is the church? And who is the church, really? So here's the first question. We're gonna have six of them today that we're gonna get through, and we're gonna get through them all. So here we go, Verse, question number one. Where did the church come from? That's a good question, right? Well, take your Bibles and turn to Ephesians now, chapter two. We're gonna be in Ephesians for this question as we answer this question. But here's an overarching statement about the answer to that question. The church comes from a world of people held captive by a satanic world system who do not because they cannot believe in God. 
That's where the church comes from. That's the answer. Where did the church come from? From a world of people held captive by a satanic world system who do not because they cannot believe in God. The Bible is very clear in describing the unbelieving world from which we have come from and where the church has emerged out of. Look at Ephesians chapter two, verse one, as Paul describes it. He's talking to believers here when he writes this. And this is what he says. So this is for you. You ready? You ready to receive it? Thank you. Ephesians 2, 1. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. You used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. And he is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. Now just, I wanna stop right there. We're gonna go on, but I wanna stop right there and help you understand that what's happening in the world and what was happening to you before the Holy Spirit came and released you was that the Satan is the spirit that is at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. There is a satanic spirit at work in everyone who does not believe. And it's going on in their hearts and you're gonna see in a minute how it's going on in their minds also. You and I were there. Verse three, all of us used to live that way following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. And by our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. Jump real quick to chapter four and look at verse 18, Ephesians chapter four and verse 18. And Paul speaking to those who don't know about those who don't know the Lord says this, they are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. What has Satan been at work doing? Hardening the hearts of people. That's what he's at work doing. That's what was going on in your heart before you came to the Lord. And as a result of that, we are darkened in our understanding and separated from God in our ignorance. Having lost all sensitivity, he goes on, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity. Sound like our world right now? Come on, sound like our world right now? Is this what we're battling right now? Absolutely, but this isn't something new. Jesus said in John chapter three, they love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. In John chapter eight, Jesus said, they don't understand divine truth and are unable to hear the words of the Lord because they do not believe. In fact, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1.18, I think I have it on the screen for you, that the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are headed for destruction. And Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 4, Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They're unable to see the glorious light of the gospel And they don't understand this message about the glory of Christ. Do you see the battle that we're in? Do you see the importance of the church of Jesus Christ to speak and shout from the mountaintops the name of Jesus into the darkness because Satan is definitely at work and all of his minions are definitely at work blocking the hearts and hardening the hearts of people who do not know God. And this says here that blocking their understanding 
blinding their eyes to the truth. They cannot see the light. Anybody want to shout hallelujah right now that he found you in the middle of that circumstance right there? And he called your name and he called you out and he enlightened you to the truth. And he took away the grip that Satan had in your heart. This is what we have been called out of. This is where the church comes from. Does this help you understand why the world hates us so much? Does this help you understand why those in our leadership in our world do not understand the importance of the church and why they're coming for the church and they're going to try and shut the church down? They don't know that the church is the only hope that they have for eternal life for sinners. They don't know. Satan's got them blinded to that. They don't know that they're doomed for judgment because of their sin. They don't know that. Do you understand that the church is the only hope that the world has for eternal life? Really? Can I dig deeper? Can I, can I go, give me permission to go a little deeper with you? Okay, does your life speak for your mouth just now? Because I mean pretty much the whole place said, yes, I understand. But do we really? Because if we really understand that we are the only hope that this world has, that without us, without the church of Jesus Christ, they cannot know. Then I think our lives would be different out there as we're living amongst them. I think we would have the message of the gospel on our lips more readily. I'm talking to myself. I'm preaching to myself here. I'm gonna show you a little later. I, I, I'm not gonna go there. I'll, show, I'll, I'll bring it up and remind you of this moment later on in the, in the passage. I just want to ask you the question. Do you really understand that the church is the only hope that our world has for eternal life because they can't find it on their own? And we are the agents, we are the plan that God has to bring the message of hope to the world. How can they call on the Lord unless they believe, the scripture says? And how can they believe unless they hear? And how can they hear if there's no preacher? The world doesn't understand that we hold in our hearts the only message that can turn blind, sinful people to God and direct their eternity away from the broad path that leads to destruction and to hell, eternal damnation, and redirect their hearts and their lives to get on the narrow path that leads to life and to everlasting life in heaven. We have the message. We have the hope. We have the power inside of us because we have the mind of Christ. They don't. 
we were lost. That's a message. The, where, where did we come from? We came from that. We were lost just like everyone else is lost in the world today. But listen to the good news in Ephesians chapter two, if you're still in Ephesians chapter two, verse four. But God, but God, but God showed up and because he is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. Come on, people. That's really good news for us today. We have been called out of the darkness into his glorious light. Praise him for his amazing love. Praise him for his amazing power. Praise him that he visited you. Do you remember that day? Do you remember the day that the scales fell off of your eyes? Do you remember the day where your heart woke up to the truth and to the things of the spirit? You were dead, the scripture says. You couldn't understand any of it, but there was a day. Aren't you thankful? Aren't you thankful for the person who came to you with the gospel and spread the gospel to your heart and opened the word of Christ with you so that you could see it for the very first time? And then he drew your heart into his and gave you life, aren't you thankful, church? I am. That's the hole we crawled out of when we heard the voice of the Spirit. That's where the church of Jesus Christ comes from. Let's answer this question, who is the church now? We know what we were, we know where we came from, but who are we we now? Turn to 1 Peter chapter two. And hang on to something. Actually, hang on to the person next to you because you're gonna get really excited about this, okay? This is gonna really pump you up. And you wanna just like grab the person's head and just start going, yes, this is awesome. Or you, you better feel like that, okay? You better feel like this when you read things like 1 Peter 2, 9, where it says, you're not part of the darkness anymore. You are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are God's special possession. You're a treasure to the Lord. You have been called. Listen, my friends, you ought to rejoice in the Lord like you've never rejoiced before. Every time your hair ought to be standing up on the back of your neck. Hopefully you don't have like too much hair on the back of your neck, but your, your hair ought to be standing up on the back of your neck right now. You ought to be getting goosebumps on the top of your head right now. You ought to be getting goosebumps all over your body right now to think that before the foundations of this world were even laid, God knew your name and he called you by name and he said, I'm gonna go get him. I'm going to go get her and they're gonna be my special possession. Amen. They're gonna be a treasure. They're gonna be my treasure. I'm gonna love them and I'm gonna pour out my love on them. As a result, Peter says, you can show others the goodness of God. Now that you've been called and now that you're a child of God, now that you are his special possession, you've been empowered to tell others about the same thing. For he calls you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. Once you had no identity as a people, but now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy, but now you have received God's mercy. Are you hearing this? Well, hang on, because it gets better. 
Because Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Praise the Lord that all the old is gone and everything now is new. That's who we are in Jesus Christ. That's who the church of Jesus Christ is. Praise the Lord for that. According to the scriptures, Christians are victims of sin who are now victorious in Jesus Christ. Christians are the despised of the world who have received honor and a place in his home. Christians are souls who die once but live twice. I love that. We are mortals who have taken on immortality, the scripture says. We are the corrupt who have become in Jesus Christ incorruptible. We are the sorrowful who have been given eternal joy in Jesus Christ. We are those who used to have blocked, dark, depraved, ignorant minds, but we now have the mind of Christ. We were once those who had Satan as their father, but are now fully adopted children of the king, heirs of the kingdom of God with Christ some of you right now that are sitting here and hearing my voice online, wherever you might be, sitting in the balcony, and maybe you're saying to yourself, man, Phil, I know I'm not in Christ. I know I don't have this, but something's waking up inside of me. How do I get this? Well, let me tell you how we all got it, okay? If I'm speaking to you and you don't know the Lord, I'm gonna tell you the simple plan of salvation, and it comes from Romans chapter 10, verse nine, where it says, if you, and this is for you today, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you too will be saved, for it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God and it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. As the scripture tells us, anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Jew and Gentile are all the same in this respect. They have the same Lord who gives generously to all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If you're sitting here today or you're listening to my voice online and you say, I want in. I want to be part of Christ. All you have to do, my friends, is call on the name of the Lord and you will be saved. All you have to do is humble your heart before the Lord, confess your sin, and confess him as Lord of your life. Humble yourself and repent of your sin and turn from your wicked ways. And the Lord says he will save you. And salvation can come to you today if you'll just reach out to him. Okay, you wanna go on? What does the true church of Jesus Christ believe? Now, I just wanna say not... What does the church believe? Because there's a lots of churches that believe a lot of things. So I put in there, what does the true church believe? Now, I don't have time. It would take me a month of Sundays just to start scratching the surface of what the true church of Jesus Christ believes. In fact, we spend every Sunday leaning into what the church actually believes, okay? And what we believe, let me just start by saying the only thing that we believe is what's found in the pages of God's word. Amen. Outside, if anyone tries to tell us anything about eternal life or anything about salvation or anything about righteousness at all outside of God's word, it is not true. We believe first and foremost that this is God's word. It is preserved word. These are the very words of God spoken to us and we can trust it. And we have everything we need to know about life and godliness given to us in the pages of God's word. 
But in the 80s, there was a song written that summed up what we believe, what the true church of Jesus Christ believes. And if you could tell me who the artist is at the end of the service, I have a special prize for you. <laughs> Let me just read this. We believe in the Father who created all that is. And we believe the universe and all therein is his. As a loving heavenly father, he yearned to save us all, to lift us from the fall, we believe. We believe in Jesus, the father's only son, existing uncreated before time had begun. A sacrifice for sin, he died, then rose again, the ransom to ransom sinful men, that's what we believe. We believe in the spirit who makes believers one. Our hearts are filled with his presence. The comforter has come. The kingdom unfolds in his plan, unhindered by quarrels of man. His church upheld by his hand, we believe. Though the earth be removed and time be no more, these truths are secure. God's word shall endure. Whatever may change, these things are sure. That's what we believe. So if the mountains are cast down into the plains, when kingdoms all crumble, this one remains. Our faith is not subject to seasons of man. With our fathers, we proclaim that we believe our Lord will come as he said. The land and the sea will give up their dead. His children will reign with him as their head. That's what we believe. These are the big rocks. These are the foundational absolutes that the true church of Jesus Christ believes. These are truths that will never be shaken. Amen. These are the foundations that will never be moved, no matter what the world tries to do. On Christ, the solid rock I stand, amen. All other ground is sinking sand. That's what we believe. So let's spend a little time on this. Why do we gather? Take your Bibles and turn to Hebrews chapter 10. So we talked a little bit about earlier that we are the universal church. We are part of the universal body of Christ, but we have local bodies. We have local congregations and assemblies of the church in order to fulfill all the one another's that God wants for us to fulfill. You know, there's like 54 things like love one another, care for one another, rebuke one another, take care of one another, be kind to one another. There's all these one another's we're supposed to do. Well, you, you can't do all that in isolation. You do that in the gathering well, why do we gather? Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Now, we talked about this a while back, but here's really what this is saying. When it says, let us think of ways to motivate each other to acts of love and good works, it means that we're supposed to be sitting around daydreaming about how we're going to help build up the church of Jesus Christ, to build our brothers and sisters up in the Lord, in this local body. So like when you're sitting on your back deck with your glass of iced tea, you're thinking about, I wonder how I can build the church up. I wonder how I can go strengthen the church of Jesus Christ. The local assembly's sole purpose the reason we gather like this, the reason we have programs like life groups and, and other discipleship courses, the, why, the reason our children meet and our youth meet, and the reason we serve together, 
The sole reason is to equip each other and equip the believers. We gather together to equip the believers, not unbelievers. Certainly, we have a message for unbelievers every time we speak. But that's not the reason the church gathers. We gather so that we can be equipped to love God more. We get in his word to figure that out. And then we also, through his word, figure out how we love each other more and love those outside the body so that we can influence those outside the body with the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's that simple. That's why the church gathers together. But we can't accomplish any of that in isolation. It requires assembly. That means we have to be together. So don't neglect your meeting together, verse 25, as some people do. Some of your Bibles say, as some are in the habit of doing. I'm not making this up. I'm just reading the word. Do we believe the word or not? So is it important to gather? Is it important? Bill, control yourself. Is it important to make it a priority to gather? Don't neglect the meeting together, as some people are doing, but encourage one another. How do you do that? Gathering, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. The closer we get to the end of the age, the more meaningful the assembling together is. And no one, Paul says here, or the writer of Hebrews, <laughs> no one says, he says no one should be forsaking that. Because if we get into this bad habit, then the body is weakened. Because remember what, he, what Paul said in 1 Corinthians, every part, every person has a part to play in the body. And if you're not here, then we're missing that specific gift that God has given to this assembly. It's as simple as that. We gather for fellowship and the sharing of warm affection. We gather to sing and pray and give and participate in the Lord's Supper and to hear baptismal, glorious baptismal testimonies. These are things given to the church and the gathering of the church. We gather to hear the public proclamation of God's word proclaimed by your elders who are called and gifted to do so. And when we gather, we're encouraging each other and like some of your Bibles would say, spurring one another on to love and good deeds. And when that is happening, then we're being equipped to fulfill our role in the world, which is number five, what is our role in the world? I want you to go to Matthew chapter five. In the great sermon on the mount. And I'm going to talk about our role. And our role is simply that we are salt and light. That's not news to any of you if you've been around church a while. And I'm not going to spend any time on it except to highlight it. Because for the next several months, we're going to be figuring out how to be salt and light in the church. As the church in the world. But this is what Jesus wanted us to understand, Matthew 5, 13. You are the salt of the earth. So there's the first thing. But what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? What's the answer? No. It will just be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. So if you're not, if you lose your saltiness, then you just become sidewalk. That's all, that's all that says. Then he says, you are the light of the world. And like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden, cast its light 
That's what you are. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. You could almost hear him say, that's how stupid would that be? You could almost hear Jesus saying that. That's not a purpose of a lamp. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, so in the same way that salt adds the flavor and light casts out darkness, in the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. This is describing the church influencing the world. This is the role we have in the world. And for the sake of just today, I want you to put down salt is the global preservative. There's a lot you can study on salt and a lot of analogies you can bring to bear, but it's clear in the scripture that we are a preservative as we live our lives of righteousness in the world. We are in the world to prevent and to hold back corruption and restrain the all-out wicked attack on the world. We're holding it back. Our holy living in the church holds back the decay and the rottenness of our dying society. That's the role of salt. It happens by our virtuous living and standing up for truth, pushing back. We will not accept blatant, overt, godless, immoral, sinful behaviors as our new normal in the world. We will not accept that. We will not sit back and go, okay, I guess what's bad is good now. We won't do it if we're gonna be salt. We fight against that with the truth of God's word. Of course we do it in love. We speak the truth in love in our world. And if we're doing our job, we will retard the moral disintegration of our world. One person said, take out the salt and the great tribulation will start. When Satan will unleash hell on the earth, all out unrestrained evil will be poured out on the earth. That's what it means to be salt. Here's what it means to be light. Salt is the global preservative. Light is the global purifier. We are the light of the world and we need to be set on a hill to shine and shine so the world can see it. See, salt is different than light. Salt kind of works in the background where light is shining brightly. Salt is working at holding back evil, but when light shines, are you hearing me? Are you still with me? I don't, it feels like I've lost some of you guys. When your light shines, darkness has to flee. Salt is holding back the evil, okay? But when you shine your light and the truth of the God's word into the world, darkness it dispels darkness. That's the role that we're supposed to be playing in the world. We are salt in our character and we are light in our message. We're gonna work on that a whole lot. So let's go to number six. Here's our last question. Who do we serve? Who do we serve? First Corinthians chapter eight. 
Verse six says this. For us, there is one God, the Father, by whom all things were created and for whom we live. My brothers and sisters, there is only one God. The Bible says, God says of himself, I am God and there is no other and all other gods are worthless idols. There is only one God, the Father, and he is ours. He created all that is and we live for him. Let's go on. There is one Lord. So there's one God. There is one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things were created and through whom we live. So here it is. We serve God through our Lord Jesus Christ. God and Jesus are the same. They are part of the triune God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We serve him, God alone. And we believe in the God who became a man. We believe in the king who voluntarily became a slave, traded a crown of glory for a crown of thorns. He died and in dying provided eternal life to those who were dead. And Philippians chapter two, verse nine says this. Therefore, because of his death and resurrection, God elevated Jesus to the place of highest honor and gave him a name above all other names that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And I just want you to know that the church of Jesus Christ, as Christians, we willingly, right, and we openly submit our lives in service to Jesus. We voluntarily make ourselves slaves. We become bond slaves to the Lord. And we openly declare him, bended knee, in humility saying, you are God, I am not, you are Lord and you're my Lord and I will serve you with everything I have. I will become a sacrifice for you, a living sacrifice. Use me however you want. I make you the Lord of my life. I declare you the Lord of all. But I want you to hear that ultimately every conscious being in the universe will bow to the name of Jesus. Aren't you glad, church, that he came and called you and he lifted the blinders and he opened your heart and your mind to salvation and to what you need and your need of a savior and your, the depth of the sin to which you were lost in. Aren't you glad that he cleaned you up And he's called you now and empowered you to make him the Lord of your life. Aren't you glad for that day that you said, God, I will follow you because I believe in Jesus and I will make him the Lord of my life and I will serve him the rest of my days. I wanna finish with this thought from Matthew chapter seven, the end of that great Sermon on the Mount. As Jesus is talking about what his kingdom looks like and who his kingdom dwellers look like, 
This is what he finishes with. Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name and we cast out demons in your name and we perform many miracles in your name, but I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. It, it is these verses that will drive our next series in the book of First John. And that series is gonna take us all the way to Christmas. And I've titled it, Will the Real Christians Please Stand Up? It's heartbreaking, my friends, that there are people, many, that's what's heartbreaking, that word, many will say, many on judgment day will say to me, Lord, I was spiritual. I was religious. I followed the beliefs of my mom or my grandma. I went to church every single time the doors were open. Let me in. And the point is this. It's not what you do that brings salvation. It's what Jesus did that brings salvation. It's what Jesus does in your life that brings salvation and eternal life. So we're gonna seek to answer in this series questions like, how do I know if I'm truly saved? Or can I know if I'm truly saved? I can't tell you how many discussions just lately I've been having with people about that right there. I don't know that anybody can really know. But we're gonna answer that question. How do we know, here's a question we're gonna find out, how do we know in the church who is truly saved? And how can we know if anyone is truly saved? Those are the things we're gonna be working on for the next four months. You up for it? I hope that you'll make it a priority to be here, not miss a week as we explore God's word in a very special way. Let's stand together and let me pray. And before I pray, let me just say this as always. Um, our prayer team will be down here in the front. I will be down here in the front. And if you need Jesus, today could be the day that changes your life forever. I believe you're here today to hear this message that you can be saved and you can be freed from all that is holding you back. If you need some help with that, and you, I would love to help you with that. Just come on down here in the front and let us talk to you. If you're online and, and God's really speaking to your heart about this thing of salvation, please reach out to one of our prayer team members there and they will help you and we wanna help you in your walk with God. Um, if you have any other need, 
You know, we were talking earlier about how sometimes we get really stuck with the things of life and you just need someone to help speak Jesus into your situation. Our team would love to do that with you and pray over you and pray that God will bring help and healing to your life. Whatever it is, we wanna help you in any way that we can because we love you. Father, I just pray that you'll strengthen us now as we go out of this place, that we will truly seek as we all want you to be the Lord of our lives. We have all declared you to be the Lord of our lives. So we will truly seek how to be that salt and light out in our world as we walk out of this place today to influence our world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Help us with that and in the days to come. Church needs us. I'm sorry. The world needs us, my friends, more than ever. And they're gonna need us even greater in the days to come. So Lord, help us in that. Strengthen us by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, encourage one another on your way out. God bless you. Good to see you this morning.